Blog Talk Radio. Another day, another chance. December. This is time once again for Riding the Wave. I'm your host, Mark Healy. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Wave newspaper, Rockaway's newspaper, since 1893. You should be getting your paper right now. And when you open it up to the back of the sports section, uh, you'll see that uh, there's a new column, and that's J.J. After Dark. Uh, You guys might know him as John Jastrzemski from WFAN, the overnight show, very popular guy is joining our pages as a sports columnist. Very excited about that. And I'm even more excited that uh, J.J. was able to stop by the wave and talk to us uh, this week. So uh, without further ado, this is the interview uh, that we did uh, when J.J. uh, visited the Waves HQ in Rockaway Beach. It's my pleasure to welcome John Jastrzemski, to the show, uh, you guys know him as JJ After Dark on WFAN 101.9 FM and 66 AM. Uh, John, uh, JJ, welcome to the show. What's up, Mark? It's good to be here. It's good to be in Rockaway. I survived the drive over, so that's always a good way to start the day, my man. Now, now I know you grew up in the Bronx. Did Staten you, Island? Oh, Staten Island. That's yeah, right. I'm sorry. Staten Island. I see. You know what it is? Listen, it's the Yankees <laughs> ties to me with the Yankee hat on, so you think of Bronx, but no, it's close enough. Staten Island, though. That was the mistake. That was the mistake. That's why we record live, folks. It's, uh, so you get the feel of live radio. Of course. Um, now, the reason we wanted to have J.J. on is because uh, we're going to be, um, you know, his column is going to be joining the paper. Uh, J.J. After Dark is going to be the name of the column. And, and this week, uh, you know, uh, J.J., you talk about um, the acquisition of uh, Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz, uh, by uh, the new GM of the Mets, Brody Van Wagenen. Um, now, you, you, you have a pretty solid opinion about, uh, about the trade. Uh, why don't you talk about the, um, I guess, your first impression when you heard the deal? Don't they gave up a lot. Now, listen, short term for the Mets, it's going to help them next year, there's no doubt. They're getting one of the best relievers in baseball. They're getting a 36-year-old second baseman who, by the fall, is probably going to be the best everyday hitter in the Met lineup next year, but when you take on a contract of that magnitude and when relievers are as volatile as they are, I'm not going to cry about the Mets giving up top prospects, but if I'm taking on that Cano contract, I'd rather get myself a Goldschmidt. I'd rather get myself a difference-making offensive player than something that, you know, you could have signed in the offseason. So if the trade that will help the Mets, it's just not the way I would have gone about the offseason. 
You know, I, I've always been a, a Robbie Cano guy. Uh, as as the folks who follow uh, Gotham baseball know that he was, you know, when early on in his career, we put him on the cover. So it really made for a, a great relationship with Robbie. So I've known him over the years. Uh, so I kind of like the idea of having a guy that I like play on the team that I root for. But by the same token, he is 36. I do think he's a young 36. I do think he has some Rod Carew in him. I know that's the player that Toria always uh, compared him to. But it is kind of a reach to, you know, because when you think about the money that's owed to him, and I think it's about $100 million after Over five years. Right. Yeah, yeah. Over five years. Um, would you have gone out and signed him to a hundred year, you know, a hundred million dollar contract? No chance. Right, right. No chance. And you gave up two top prospects to boot. If they would have just taken on that contract and got Diaz for very little in return, I'd be all for the move. But I look around the diamond, and there's still a lot of work to do. Now, again, I want to see what Brody Van Wagen is going to do with the rest of this offseason. How are they going to upgrade the bullpen? What are they going to do behind the plate? Are they going to be players for JT Riamuto? Like there are a lot of questions. So I don't want to just say, all right, this is, you know, what we're looking at for the rest of the offseason, but you can't stop here. I mean, you can't look at this straight and say, oh, what's that? Let's go. Well, that's kind of what they did in 2015 when they added Kadire. You know, it was like Kadire, it was like that's, that's your move for the offseason. And they got very lucky that the Carlos Gomez uh, physicals did not go well and they were able to get Cespedes, uh, you know, at the deadline, and that changed their whole season. But, you know, Here's the thing. Here, here's the difference maker. Van Wagenen is a wild card because of the fact that he was an agent. He's not someone that's worked for the Wilpons before. But people seem to forget that Omar Minaya is, you know, Branch Ricky to, to Fred Wilpon. I mean, Fred, Fred thinks Omar is like, and I like Omar. Don't get me wrong. He's a gentleman. He's always been good to me. And, and I love Omar a lot, but it's not like Omar was perfect in 2006, you know, in 2005. So I like the idea of rolling the dice. I love the idea that Brody's going to walk in the, you know, the winter meetings like a rock star. Uh, I like the fact that he's kind of went all in, as you put in the, in the column this week. You know, the Mets go all in. And he said, we're going to win this year and we're going to win in the future. Well, you're going to need, just like Chief Brody needed a bigger boat, you know, you're going to need a bigger payroll. No doubt. And that's why, to me, I want to see the Mets be players actively here in this free agency period. There are a lot of good free agents, a lot of good relievers. Um, if they don't end up with Riamuto, go get yourself Wilson Ramos or somebody like that behind the plate. And they've got to become a more athletic team. I mean, you look up and down baseball, Mark, so many of these teams are young, high-flying, guys making plays. Running, you know, The Mets didn't have that dynamic. They haven't had it now for quite some time. They need to become a more diverse in the sense that you got guys hitting for power. You got guys hitting for speed. You got on base. Well, you're not just a lineup that's full of so-called powers. You know that was what the Mets tried to build. Except I'm not looking at a lineup that is as powerful as the one that the Astros or the Yankees or the Cubs are running out there. I do think, though, I, I will say this, and I'm no pom pom waver. I think everybody knows that on Twitter. Um, I will say this. I do think Conforto, if he's healthy, and Nimmo, if if he's healthy. Uh, and Rosario, if he progresses, those are three pretty young, pretty solid, pretty dynamic players if, if everything goes right. Good start. And Conforto's got to show you can do it for a full year. That's the guy I'm not moving. I think Conforto's got to be close to an untouchable. I don't want to say untouchable because, listen, perfect trade came around, you wouldn't say no, but if there's one guy that I think should be one of your cornerstones, it's absolutely Conforto. Um, I like Brandon Nimmo. 
But the fact that Brandon Nimmo does not hit left-handed pitching would scare me a little bit. I mean, Nimmo against lefties this year, or if you go back to last year, not so good. So that's something he's going to have to grow to become better at. And, you know, I think about a Riamuda deal. If you told me you had to include Brandon Nimmo, it wouldn't stop me. It wouldn't. Conforto, I'd have far more hesitation. You tell me Brandon Nimmo is headlining a JP Riamuda deal, I don't think it happened. This is why sports radio is great, because, you know, you would, you would sit and you would discuss it and you would debate it. But I do want to move uh, to the Yankees, because, you know, here's the thing. I actually agree with you about Nimmo, that I would probably include him in a deal over either Rosario or Conforto. If that was a deal breaker, I probably would do it. But I'm also very superstitious, and my favorite number is number nine. So, I, you know, we finally got somebody that, you know, is number nine. That's actually a decent player. Well, good thing you're not a Yankee fan because you wouldn't be seeing a number nine ever again after Roger Maris. You know, they put that baby out in Monument Park along with the 40 other numbers that are out there. I mean, the Yankees are look, I'm all for retiring the number that is worthy. And, you know, some teams are petty about retiring numbers. Like, they're talking about David Wright not getting his number retired because he's not going to the Hall of Fame. I mean, that's a joke. David Wright, lifelong Met, going to have every Met record known to man I don't care if he's in the Hall of Fame or not. That's the number you retire. But the Yankees, I mean, you look at some of the numbers that are out there. It's, it's, it's overkill. I'm sorry, it is. Once they settle, I think, the, the insurance case, maybe they'll uh, change their minds on the right. You know? I hope so. Let's, talk, let's uh, switch gears to the Yankees. Now, uh, I follow you on Twitter. Uh, I have always, you know, I've been listening to you since you got on the air because you actually won the Fantasy Phenom Contest. I did, I did not. I did not get well, we were the Well, we, we were not in the same contest. That's though. right. You no, can't no. even take this out on me, no, Mark. I can't. I, I, uh, Greg Sussman, who's a good dude, uh, he won that first year. And I always say, I always tell people, I said, you know, when I did it that first year, I just wanted to get to the finals. I wanted to get to the finals. I wanted to get to Bar A and be able to get on camera and do my thing. And when it didn't work out, you know, I was devastated. But, you know, a couple of years later, I was on Sirius. So that's all cool. I'm, I'm good with that. And I, I just love the idea that someone like you, who clearly went through all the steps that you're supposed to go to, you went to school for it, you went to the school for it in Syracuse, uh, you know, you, you, you basically have earned, let's be honest, luck is the residue of design. So... Whatever luck you've had, it's because you've prepared for it, right? And you've earned stuff. And so I think that's why the listeners have engaged with you, because it's not just that you're good, right? It's also that you get it. Like, you get that what you do, everyone out there wants to do. And you always, and, and, and uh, might, this might embarrass you, but um, I know a lot of people in this industry. And they all say the same thing, that you are the same guy right now as you've always been. That's absolutely true. That's yeah. absolutely true. And, and you know what, Mark? It's a hard, you know this better than anybody. It's a very hard business to break oh, into. And brutal. I think that was kind of humbling for me when I came out of college more than anything else. Because I don't want to say it was hockey coming out of college, but I was very confident. You know, I was very confident in my own abilities. I have this Syracuse degree. I mean, I'm doing shows from the sixth overtime game. Ah, I'm not going to have that much trouble finding a job. It can't be that hard. Yeah, 10 months out of college, you know, I'm covering uh, sports down in Jersey Shore part-time. I mean, I'm dying to get into radio, and I would have gone anywhere. Right. Would have gone anywhere. So, I mean, the contest for me was, you know, obviously fortunate. 
to have the opportunity, kind of walk in a draw type of deal. Because look, you can do that contest, you can pick a winner in that contest. Whether or not they're going to be successful on the air, I mean, the radio station is basically throwing a dart up against the wall and they're hoping they hit bullseye. Right. My hope is, you know, they came pretty darn close. So, you know, I knew once I won the contest, okay, I got to do good work here. You know, it can't, like, you don't want your seminal moment in your career being a contest. You want right. to keep ascending. So, you know, thankfully to be there seven, it's crazy, seven years, pretty remarkable stuff. Well, I, I also think that, you know, as someone who has always, like, when I was at Sirius, uh, I begged them. I said, we need to do an overnight show. You know, we need to do that kind of... Because I knew when I was doing my show that there was a connection with the listener. You know, guys were driving their trucks asking fantasy baseball questions. Oh, I'm sure. You know, like there was all that. And I said, you know what, if we, instead of doing a replay overnight, let's do an overnight show. Because I've always loved the overnight show. As we talked before, uh, before we recorded this, you know, I love Schmoozer. I loved Medingo. And really, until you came along, I hadn't listened to the overnight in a long time. That's great. I'm also, glad I brought you back. You, and you did, because when I listened to you, I was like, I wanted to hear what you thought. Even if I was going to disagree with something that you said, I wanted to hear, I said, what does J.J. think about this deal? What did J.J. think about the next game? What did J.J. think about, you know, uh, you know, what the Yankees trade was or what the Mets trade was? Because even though you're a fan of the Yankees or a fan of the Knicks or a fan of the Dolphins, your your opinions are based on knowledge, not on, you know, the color of the jersey, which I, I think that everyone, you know, really appreciates. Well, listen, if you're going to be in sports radio and you're going to do this, you cannot be of the mindset of being a fanboy. You know what I mean? You cannot be a fanboy. You have to be fair. You have to be objective. And look, I, I'm not sitting there and saying, you know, I enjoy if the Jets stick it to my team, which they didn't this year, thank God. But, you know, like if they do, i got to come on here and face the music. That's the way it goes. So, you know, I try to base my opinions on what I watch, what I've basically thought my whole life, and I go on the air, and I hope it comes across that way. I really do. And I appreciate that you or anybody else would say, you know, whenever the time may be, something big happens, I can't wait to hear what I have to say about it. I mean, that's kind of crazy when you think about it. Like, it's something I never really thought about. Right. But it is true, because I'll get tweets saying, big trade, what do you want? I can't wait to hear what you think about this. And right. it's kind of cool. That's what I think that, you know, I kind of, uh, I got on the air right when Twitter had, you know, come about. You know, like like right around 2009, yeah. uh, 2008, 2009. And so I thought it was a fantastic tool uh, to, you know, really you know, kind of integrate it into the show, you know, and I, I know people are down on social media, I know people are down on, uh, you know, certain platforms, but I'm telling you, in this business, in, in sports, uh, yeah, sometimes it can get out of line, sometimes it, it, it gets crazy, but I think if you, if you like you do, I mean, I, I follow your feed, uh, I think when you are honest about it and you use it properly, it's a fantastic tool when you're on the air. Oh, there's no doubt. And it's a great tool to promote the show. That's one. It's a great tool to interact with the audience, people that maybe don't necessarily call um, but are always listening. You know, all they got to do is fire up their phone and right. send out a tweet and they reach out. And I'm going to be honest, I read, I don't want to say all of them because sometimes 
a few will get lost in the shuffle. It just right. happens. Right. But like when I'm bored, and especially like if I'm watching a game, just sitting around, and I tweet out something, yeah, I'll be like, all right, let me see what's going on here. Um, I think Twitter though has changed obviously the way reporters go about covering right. a team. Mm-hmm. And for somebody like me, I mean, I can't live without it. Like the first thing I do, I wake up in the morning. I get the coffee and I'm checking Twitter because that's how I find out what's going on. If there's, you know, the Evaldi thing today, Evaldi signed back with Boston. How did I find out? Found out on Twitter. Right. That's where the reporters break the stories. So, you know, for me, it's like I can't imagine going on the air and not constantly checking what's going on. Um, and before the show, seeing what's going on. So I use that as my prep tool. That's my number one prep tool, hands down. Let's talk about the Yankees. Obviously, um, you know, uh, losing out on Corbin. I think a lot. I, look, I, I thought Corbin was was you know signed, sealed, delivered. I, I really didn't think. Uh, I, did, I certainly didn't think he was going to sign with the Nationals. I thought if he went anywhere, it would be the Phillies. I mean, that was kind of the the chatter. Bob Nightingale had him going to the Phillies. Like I think five minutes after somebody else had said that he had signed the deal with the Nationals. Um, I think it's kind of nuts to invest half a billion dollars in your starting rotation. Uh, you know, I, I think the Nationals are out of their minds, but let's talk about what the Yankees did. I think the trade for Paxton was great. Uh, it clearly shows, um, I thought it clearly showed when they decided not to use Sheffield uh, down the stretch last year when they needed another starter uh, that they kind of sort of thought that maybe they were going to deal him in the off season and felt that happen and, and, you know, what they were, what else they were going to do was going to make more sense. So I don't – I mean, do you think they gave up too much to get Paxton? No, not at all. I mean, James Paxton, when he's right, is one of the top pitchers in the American League. Now, I think the Yankees are banking on a couple of things. One, that the injuries he's had throughout his career, that's the only scare, um, that they are not going to be catastrophic, that they are kind of – fluky, weird injuries. We're not talking about major elbow surgery. We're not talking about major so- shoulder surgery, back, leg, that sort of stuff. Um, I think they're banking on the fact he's going to be healthy. Two, I think the Yankees view him as a lefty who's ascending, that maybe he's even getting better as a pitcher. So, you know, if they can get three or four prime years out of him, considering they just gave up an unproven justice Sheffield, it's not like James Paxton, 35, 36. He's 30. So for the Yankees, who are now in the position of, yeah, we've made the playoffs the last two years. We have this really good young core. Let's go get it. Yeah, to just give up Justice Sheffield to get Paxton. I, I thought to get Paxton, you might have to even give up one of your big guns. Talking in Duhar, I'm talking Torres. So when I saw it basically with Sheffield, a couple of throw-ins, I make that deal any back. I don't know how you, where you stand on this. I don't remember when it when the when the word came down how you reacted. I'm sorry, I don't, but I don't. Um, as someone who covered the Yankees, um, I always personally liked Girardi. You know, I dealt with him a lot. Uh, I felt that he was, you know, I didn't expect him to answer certain questions. So I guess my my level of ex, you know expectation was was never you know, that he was going to actually tell me what was going on. And I felt as a reporter it was always my job to find out and that I was never going to get the, you know, the answer in open forum and that I would do my due diligence, you know. So I never had the resentment uh, for Girardi that a lot of people did. 
Uh, I'm also not a fan of the Yankees, so whether or not the binders, you know, really, you know, or, or going so by the book, um, you know, was going to be a big deal for me. So when he left uh, and they brought in Aaron Boone, I, I still to this day don't really understand it. Uh, as a Yankee fan, as somebody who is, you know, really invested in this team, uh, do you feel that Boone was the right guy? Do you think that they would have got further with somebody like Girardi as the manager last year? Look, I wanted Joe Girardi back. I'm a big Joe Girardi guy. I think he's one of the best managers in baseball. And I thought he did a great job in his last year. I mean, the Yankees didn't have high expectations. Made it to Game 7 of the ALCS. Now, look, do I think Aaron Boone had a great postseason? No. He made a couple of missteps in the postseason. Um, do I think the Yankees, with the way the Red Sox look, were beating them? No. So I have to be honest. Do I think if Joe Girardi's in the dugout, do they beat the Boston Red Sox? No. I, I think the Red Sox were a special team. I think it was on full display against the Astros and against the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think the Red Sox just had that mojo cooking. So, look, I think Boone is going to be good with the players, and Boone's going to be good with you guys in the media. Um, there are things that you've got to work on. I mean, at the end of the day, we look at the regular season, they won 100 games. So, for me to look at Aaron Boone and say, you know, he was a total failure in his first year, I mean, that's, that's absurd. I mean, one manager wins 100 games, and it's a total failure. But there are things to work on. I mean, I can't say he had a perfect year and that, you know, you can't, utilize any criticism. There is criticism to find. Bullpen management, um, the way you handle certain situations, yeah, you could be critical, but, I mean, at the end of the day, 100 wins, 100 wins. Because I am the way I am, and there's something wrong with me, um, I feel like if Girardi's the manager, Aaron Judge doesn't play New York, New York. Uh, you know. See, I don't know about that. I, and <laughs> I really don't. I mean, listen, and that I thought personally... That got totally overblown. And, look, if the Red Sox want to use it as motivation, be my guest. It obviously worked. They continued it throughout the postseason. Um, to me, that's having some fun. I want my players that personality. Like, it's not like he's going in front of the Red Sox locker room screaming at you. You know what I mean? Like, the Red Sox now want to play it? God bless. Like, I'm, I'm for baseball has this, like, reputation amongst younger people, and I'm a big baseball fan. I love baseball. It's my bread and butter. I love it. I grew up with it. It's my favorite. But, you know, these other sports, we get to see a lot more of the players' personality. I think we're starting to see that now in baseball. Guys like Bregman, Judge, Mookie Betts, Harper, whether you like them or not, you see the personality they bring to the table. I think if you're trying to attract younger fans, you know, a little gamesmanship here there, I'm not for it. I am. I'm not. I'm, I'm so old. I am. I am so old school when it comes to that stuff, and it's funny. You know, I. That's why I. You know, I, I covered uh, Brett Gardner when he was in Staten Island. You know, so I covered the minor leagues. Uh, you know, from 2001 to like 2006. So I was there for all those Cyclones, Staten Island Yankee games, and I saw Cano when he was a baby. I saw Chin Ming Wong, Taiwan, yeah. used Tiger. Uh, I really got into. But that rivalry, I got into that whole thing. So, you know, when you see a guy like Brett Gardner who will run through a wall and, and not, you know, it's just a, just like those kinds of players, you know, the, the wild. He's a throwback. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's a throwback. So, and I'm glad they brought Gardner back for one more year. Look, he's not every good player anymore. But leadership and intangibles, you know this, they matter. They yep. matter. And Absolutely. even a guy like CeCe, bringing him back. Oh, was great. You know, you have leaders like that in your locker room. 
They're going to police stuff. They're going to be guys that the younger players turn to. So I always look at those guys and I say, look, you're not going to keep them around for the sake of keeping them around, but they're going to bring certain qualities that I think winning teams need to have. And I think the other thing, too, is is that having, having those two guys specifically that you're talking about, um, they're a resource for the younger guys. You know, a guy like Brett Gardner. Now, uh, I'm not going to say how I know this, but I know that um, a couple of years ago that uh, guys like Ellsbury, guys like even A-Rod, uh, guys like Gardner, um, I was told that, you know, that every day, that those guys are working with the hitting coach and working with the younger players. You know, like going out of their way to teach these guys, you know, try to try to uh, lend to them their veteran wisdom of, of all the games and all the innings and all the, all the, all the baseball that they've played. And, and you're right, there is something to be said for that. And maybe, maybe it's because... Joe Girardi's not around, and maybe because they feel that Aaron Boone needs a little help in that in that locker room as far as, uh, you know, the 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 day to day kind of mentorship that these some of these young guys really need, like a Gary Sanchez. Let's be honest. I think that if anybody suffered more from the Need's absence of Girardi, yeah, that's totally fair. Yeah. And listen, I'm a I'm still a big believer. Oh, I, I am too. Got unbelievable talent. Yeah, that's why you know the idea, and I was very adamant going back to the playoffs, I said, you ain't winning a World Series without this guy. The Yankees could not win a World Series without him, and they didn't, but you think about that one playoff win. Who is the star? Who had two home runs over the Green Monster? That's the sort of talent that needs to be harnessed. So, yeah, the Yankees got to get his head out of his rear end. I mean, that's what it comes down to. I mean, some of the issues with blocking the balls in the dirt, that's all focus. That's all mental. I mean, you could see it in the playoffs. I mean, he was, like, bunkering down. He really wanted to block those balls. He, he didn't have an issue, did he? I mean, you know, so it, it's something that the Yankees and this coaching staff, they've got to stress. It's day in, it's day out. You want to be one of the best catchers in all baseball. Right. You want to do this for a long time. This is stuff you've got to clean up. Um, I think, the you know, it's funny. I, I never thought of this, uh, and I should have, I guess, but I'm, I'm not covering the, the team the day-to-day. If I had, I probably, you know, might have come up with this. But I was at Foley's uh, in Manhattan. You know, both of us have talked about it. It's such a great place. Um, and I was having lunch with Marty Appel. Uh, Marty Appel is, you know, Yankee historian, you know, former Yankee PR director. And we were just talking about the team. And, and he said, you know, I think that as much as Girardi not being there hurts, he said that, you know, Tony Pena not being there. You know, Tony Pena wasn't around last year, and, and being a former catcher, being a former all-star, being someone who actually speaks Spanish. I mean, instead of Latin connections, yeah. big with Tony Pena. So, I mean, look, it seemed like Sanchez was very on board with Boone and company. Now, people around the Yankees say even though Sanchez and Girardi would go at it, you know, there was no problem with Girardi and Sanchez. There were other problems with other guys in the locker room that I heard and I was shocked by a couple of names that were thrown out. Basically said they had enough of Girardi. And that's basically what the Yankees, I think, decided. That there were guys in that locker room that were just turned off. And look, you're, you're in a job for 10 years as a manager. That's a lifetime in New York. That's right. a long time. Right. I mean, and we've seen it. I wouldn't have gotten rid of Girardi again. But sometimes change for both parties can be a good thing. So we'll see, we'll see if the Yankees, the Yankees don't win with this group. Aaron Boone will not survive. Right. Period. That's just the way it goes. You gotta win.
I know you, you got things to do, and, and this is our deadline day, so I'm going to wrap it up here with um, if, 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 if the Yankees have two more moves left in them, what would you like to see them do before, before opening day? Oh, God, they need a starting pitcher. Have to bring Jay Hat back. And you mentioned Corbin earlier. I wanted Patrick Corbin. Six years and $140 million is outrageous. I don't think there will be that much of a difference between Corbin and Jay Hat for next year. So get Jay Hat back, and the guy I'd bring in, play him at second base, can move him around. It won't make the Mets fan happy. I'd sign Daniel Murphy. I'd love to see Daniel Murphy because, you know, the Yankees are searching for guys who are contact hitters. They need that for October. You're building a team to win a World Series. The Yankees are going to win plenty of games. So I'm not concerned about how they're building a team for 162. Get me a guy who's going to have those sort of bats in the playoffs. And when Didi comes back, yeah, I'll figure out where I'm going to play him first. The agent plays standing in the outfield. I can mix around. If there's a guy they can bring in as a position player, and I wouldn't mind Bryce Harper, that'd be nice. If the Yankees really want to go big fish hunting, I don't want him shot. I don't want him. I don't think the Yankees need him. No thanks. Not another right-handed power hitter who's not going to run out balls. No thanks. Um, but give well, me, you know, he's not Mr. Hustle. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not Johnny Hustle, and I don't hustle in the World <laughs> Series. Jeez, what are you going to do for 10 years? Murphy, half. That's my offseason. Well, JJ, like I said, thanks so much for joining us and coming out to Rockaway. And uh, you, you'll be able to see JJ after dark uh, every Friday in the Wave. Looking forward to it. Uh, we actually share a little space this week. Oh, nice. On the sports page. There you go. And, uh, you know, it was, it was great having you on. Why don't you just let, let, let the folks uh, know uh, when you're going to be on for the next, uh, next couple of days. Sure. So Friday I'm going to be on doing my show. Very excited about it. So I'm going to be doing my show with Chris Moore from 3 to 6.30. Then Saturday, I'm not doing my usual overnight. I'm going to be on earlier in the day. I'm doing like 4 to 7.15. So, and then back Monday for the overnight, 2 to 6. And then I'm doing uh, TV Sunday night. So I got a bunch of shows coming up. Friday afternoon, Saturday late afternoon, Sunday into Monday, Tuesday night on the fan. And I'm doing Monday Night Live with Carl Banks. I mean, I'm losing track of my schedule already thinking about it, Mark. It's going to be a busy couple of days, but it was a pleasure coming in. So happy to be a part of uh, the Rockaway community here. should be fun.